Good evening. Today is a very somber day, and our desire in this service is for you to feel the weight of the death of Christ and also to have that weight lifted because of the love of God. But the, the goal today is when we leave, we will experience that somber time that for six hours our Savior hung on a cross before he died. And hopefully that sets a tone for the weekend, the seriousness of this, so that by Sunday morning, when the tomb is rolled away, that will have even greater weight than it usually does because of our experience tonight. So if you want to stay seated the whole night and listen to the music, if you want to stand and sing, whatever it is you need to experience our great God, both the weight of the death of Jesus and his great love for us. Father, thank you for tonight. And I trust and hope that you are honored above all and that we would truly feel the pain of Christ. He did it for us, but for us to experience that tonight, Lord. And, um, and we love you and we thank you. Also tonight, we're gonna take communion. So prepare your heart for that.
service this week, um, I just really wanted it to have space. I think as Christians, it's really easy to just do our devotion and then shut our Bibles and go on with our life and not spend enough time really reflecting on the weight of the cross. And especially on Good Friday, I, I don't just want to say Jesus died for us and then leave. I want to spend time feeling that weight because if I don't understand the weight of that, then I don't fully understand how bad I need Jesus and I don't fully understand the joy of the resurrection. So as we go tonight, you're gonna notice there's a lot of times that we're not singing. There's a lot of times that we'll probably just be playing. And I really hope you'll take that time to feel the weight, to pray to God and thank him for sending his son and to not just skip past that really hard, grotesque thing that is what Tony just said, that Jesus hung on the cross and died for us for six hours for what we did. So that's just my encouragement. As we continue to sing tonight, just keep that. Whether you need to stand or sit or kneel or walk around, whatever you need, just feel that weight this evening. You never change. You are the God you say you are when I'm afraid. Come and still my beating heart, you stay the same. When hope is just a distant thought, you take my pain and you lead me to the cross. What love is this that you gave your own life for me and 
Last Sunday, we walked from and the story from the triumphal entry up to the time Jesus was nailed to the cross. And I mentioned that, that today we were going to walk through the seven sayings of Christ and focus in on just a couple of them in depth. So that's what I want to do. I want to look at what was on Jesus' heart and mind as he hung on the cross. The first three sayings are regarding people in Jesus' life that he's concerned about them. So the very first saying on the cross, number one, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. 
Now, now think about everyone involved in this day, but everyone involved when Christ was nailed to that cross. And he asks for their forgiveness, which that's not new to us. I think more profoundly, I want you to think about, even that's profound, but think about when he says they do not know what they are doing. Certainly they knew exactly what they were doing. What does Jesus mean by that? Is it possible that they had no concept they were murdering the eternal Son of God? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus' concern for all the people involved. The second saying was concern for one person. Truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Spoken to the thief on one side or the other, I don't know which side. Both thieves were mocking him, but at some point one of them came to the, their senses and realized that, that this person is innocent and even said to the other thief, Stop doing what you're doing. This man is innocent. We deserve this. And he calls out to Jesus and says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, Truly today, you will be with me in paradise. The third saying, he's talking to his mother. You got to get in your mind a picture here. Hundreds of people possibly. The crowds had been yelling for his crucifixion. We know that his mother and the other Mary and some, some ladies were there. And finally, one of the apostles comes back, John. And Jesus on the cross has the frame of mind in the midst of all his pain. His mother is on his heart. And he looks at his mother and says, behold your son. Now remember, he can't point. Imagine he did it with his eyes. Woman which by the way is not a term of disrespect like we would think it is today. Woman, behold your son, and his eyes shifted over to John. Looking at John, behold your mother. And the Bible says that Mary lived with him for the rest of her days, which begs the question, where's Joseph? Most likely he's passed by now even begs the question more, where are Jesus' brothers and sisters that he has to give his mother, the care of his mother, to one of his apostles? Things that are on the heart of the Savior on the cross. The fourth one, I'll spend a minute on. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now this is, a, I believe, an extension of Jesus' anxiety in the garden. When Jesus is in the garden is saying, is there any other way? Not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus is actually quoting Psalm 22, a Psalm of David, where David cried out the exact same words. And I want to read that Psalm to you. Listen to David's words, because I want to ask you, did God really abandon his son at this moment? How, how can the eternal God abandon the eternal son? How can the first member of the Trinity abandon the second member of the Trinity? This is, this is a, a, a profound concept. Is it that Jesus was truly abandoned or did he just feel abandoned? I want to read to you Psalm 22 where David quotes the exact same words. And Jesus is simply dropping a verse. I don't want to sound, sound trite. 
he is quoting a verse that reminds anyone listening for us today, he is the son of David, and he lived a life similar to David. So David writes these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. David's talking about his experience. David feels abandoned by God. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy. O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted in you, delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and they were not disappointed. Now David gets to him now. He's talking about God's faithfulness to all the generations before in Israel. But now he's going to talk about himself. But I am a worm and not a man. An approach of men and despised by the people. David says, you delivered everybody, but you've abandoned me because you're not delivering me. And then he says these words, which are exactly what happened to Jesus on the cross. All who see me sneer at me. They separate the lip. They wag the head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. The very words that people mock Jesus with actually were used to mock David a thousand years before. Had God abandoned David? No, God hadn't abandoned David. But David felt fully abandoned. His experience said, God, you've left me. You're not fulfilling your promise to me. But it was not true. I want to suggest to you, though, that the father actually did abandon Jesus. And this is, not everyone agrees with this, so think through it. Historically, this is called the dereliction of the Son of God. The dereliction of the Son of God. The word derelict in our, in our common vocabulary refers to somebody who's just kind of a loser on the street or something. Oh, they're a derelict. But that's not its original meaning. A derelict means someone who's been abandoned. A dereliction of the Son of God is the Son of God has been abandoned. And I've always held to this, that he truly was abandoned. But Daryl sent me a verse this week, reminded me of something that confirmed it for me. I want to read that to you. First of all, Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that... Christ, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus was cursed so we could be blessed. But Paul's quoting Deuteronomy here, and this is what Daryl sent to me this week. He's quoting Deuteronomy 21, 22. I think this verse shows us, that Paul quoted it, shows us that in some mystical way we will never understand the eternal father turned his back on his son. If a man has committed a sin worthy of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not hang all night on that tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God so that you do not defile your land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. Jesus was hung on a tree. He was accursed by God. Why was Jesus accursed? Why was he abandoned by the Father? Paul already told us. It says right there in Galatians, 
he became a curse for us so we could become the blessing of God. He did it for us. Let's sing another song now.
This week, Elena has put a ton of time and thought and prayer into this service. She's, she's put it all together for us. And she told me a week ago that she was struggling finding a good song to, that reflects Good Friday. So she wrote that song. And it's a gorgeous song. Um, I, I read the words. And, and I, I, she's not going to tell you that. And I apologize if I've embarrassed you, Elena. But... Um, that was a, a powerful song. So Jesus is hanging there. Who, who knows how much time has gone by? Um, but he's become parched. He, emotionally, he's spent. He truly believes, and I believe it truly has happened. The Father has abandoned him. And you know when you get so thirsty, your lips stick together, your tongue sticks to the roof of your mouth. And his fifth saying is, I'm thirsty. And they give him some sour wine on a sponge to drink. The sixth saying on the cross addresses the purpose of the cross. Three words. It's actually one word in Greek. It is finished. It is finished. What is finished? What's been finished? This is just like the, the first one. Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. We haven't given much thought to they don't know what they're doing. Have we given thought to what is finished? Remember what Jesus prayed in the garden? He said, not my will be done, but your will be done. The will of God is that Jesus would die on the cross for you and me. The will of God is that Jesus would become a curse for you and me so that we become blessing. The will of God is that Jesus would give his life as a ransom for many. It is finished. The ransom has been paid. The seventh saying, Jesus resigns himself to his Father's care. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Now think of the profoundness of the th at this moment. He, 
actually believes his father's abandoned him. He's experienced that. What other choice does he have? What other choice? He now knows death is imminent. You either trust God or you don't. I sat with a man yesterday morning who has stage four cancer in his liver and his lungs. And his daughter was there and we were planning his funeral. And we read this passage together. And his name is Don. I said, Don, do you trust God or not? Because at the moment you pass into the next life, you have absolutely no control what happens to you. Are you ready to commit your spirit to your good father? And he, tears in his eyes, he says, I'm ready. Every one of us will face this day that Jesus faced for us. But we too will face a day where we will come to the end of our lives and we will say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But here's the thing. We can have a level of assurance that we are accepted because the Son took our place. He became cursed so that you might receive a blessing. He was abandoned so you might be accepted. God abandoned his son so that we might be adopted as children of God. And Jesus became sin so that we could become his righteousness. That's the exchange on the cross. And it's not fair. It's not fair that the sinless son of God died for you and me. And we get to receive life and righteousness that belongs to him. It's not fair. It's called grace. Fragrance every ounce here broken at your feet. 
The scriptures tell us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So we are going to partake in communion now. And I'm sure the majority of you in this room, if not every one of you, have taken communion before. I, I don't entirely know. But we have bread and a cup representing the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And the church for 2,000 years has struggled with trying to explain when Jesus said, this is my body given for you. This is my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. And we've struggled and argued and fought over the concept, to what degree is Christ present in these elements? And I have thought about it for 40 years. And today's not today to solve this because we're never going to solve it as far as agreeing. But here's what I want us to do today. I want us to grasp that this is not simply a ritual that we just do something and go home. Theologians over the centuries have called it a means of grace and an occasion of grace. I want you to think of that, that in some way, in some way, we, we partake in communion. We come with the right heart and in right humility and we partake in communion. Christ is with us through the elements in a way he's not otherwise. There's a means of grace where the grace of Jesus Christ comes to us because of the act in humility of remembering his death by eating the bread and drinking the cup. In light of that, I want to read to you the passage we read all the time, but I want to read the whole thing this time. Paul, reviewing what he had was passed on to him about what happened that night, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. And the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. This is where Paul gets very serious. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who drinks, eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Very sobering passage on the seriousness of participating in communion, remembering what he did for us, the price he paid was the greatest price that could be paid. There's nothing more valuable than the Son of God. God gave the greatest gift he could possibly give to us. And when we approach the table, we need to approach it in a manner fully understanding that. You see, we'll never be worthy of this. I talked about that before. It's not fair that the innocent Son of Man died for the guilty. So we don't make ourselves worthy. But are we approaching it in an unworthy manner a flippant manner, unconfessed sin that we just don't care anymore. So what's going to happen is people are going to come forward to the, our ushers are going to come forward to the elements. Elaine is going to play a song. And I asked, there's a good number of people in the room, good number of people, if you guys want to come up, good number of people in the room, as she plays this song, I just want you to take your time coming up. They will hand you an element, a, a cup with the, with the juice and a cup with the bread. Let them hand it to you and head back to your seat and please wait till we're all together. Communion, by definition, is a group activity. We are the body of Christ and we're gonna do this together. Oh, we have them in the back too. I'm sorry, I, I didn't realize that. We have two in the front, two in the back like we used to do. Oh, the good days are back. Oh, there's one, okay, there's one. The good days are almost back. <laughs> so there's here, here, and there. And um, um, so let's just thank the Lord. Lord, we thank you for, for laughter and making mistakes. But right now, Lord, I, I want us to remember um, what a serious moment this is, that in some way we are interacting with your son in a way that's unique as we remember him and proclaim his death until he comes back. So remind us, Lord, of things that we have hidden in our hearts against you or from you and to bring them to you now. Remind us, Lord, we deserve none of this, but you've lavished it all upon us. Your grace is amazing. In all of this, Lord, we want you to be honored. So thank you. In Christ's name, we love you. i
Christ is formed in me. passage we regularly read 
excuse me. On the night the Lord was betrayed, he took bread. And Paul chooses the betrayal as one of the, the primary event to describe that night. And I want us to remember, think about why he chose the betrayal of Judas to be the symbol. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. Why didn't he pick another event? Why didn't he pick an event like on the night that Jesus was, was, was spit on, he took bread? On the night that Jesus, I'm sorry, my iPad's not working. On the night that Jesus was slapped in the face and hit on the head, he took bread. On the night that Jesus was beat senseless with a whip that had metal and bone in it. On the night that the creator of all heard the words of his own creation, his own people, crucify him, he took bread. On the night that the king of kings was mocked and beaten by soldiers, and they wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, he took bread. On the night that the eternal Son of God was abandoned by his Father, he took bread. Of all the things Paul could have said, he said on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. I think maybe, now I'm, I'm in, in the land of maybe, Paul chose an event that is at the heart of the crucifixion. One of his own betrayed him. And Jesus said, woe to that man that betrays me. I think we pick on Judas as though he's not like us. He's different. When in fact, I think Paul picked the very event that we were all guilty of. We were all betrayers. We were all deniers. And he went to the cross for that. So in the night in which our Lord was betrayed, he took bread. When he given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus lived that sinless life, and tonight we're partaking of unleavened bread, representing that sinlessness. So let's go ahead and grab the bread out of there. Thank you, Father, for this piece of bread that represents the life of your son, that he lived, he became human, he became incarnate, became just like us, and lived the life that we live with all the struggles and all the pains and all the, the fears, but yet never once disobeyed you. Thank you, Father, for not just this reminder, but the life that this bread represents. In Christ's name, we thank you, Jesus. Let's partake together. In the same way, he took the cup after supper. Some say this was the third cup of wine they drank, called the cup of redemption in the Passover traditions. He says this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You see, the old covenant that was the sacrifice of bulls and goats could not remove sin, the book of Hebrews tells us. A new covenant was needed, and with every covenant, someone has to die. When you think of the word covenant, think of the word testament or will. Jesus is inaugurating a new will. 
a new testament. Someone has to die to make it valid. The new covenant, the blood, the death that brought in the new covenant where you and I are forgiven, our hearts have been changed, the spirit of God lives in us permanently because of this. Again, Lord, we thank you for your unbelievable plan that no one could have thought of, but you planned it from eternity past and brought it into being through the death of your son. Thank you. Let's partake together. We've sang a lot of songs tonight that, that are brand new to us. And, um, and, we, and, and we asked you and told you if you feel like sitting down, please do. But I'm now going to ask you to stand up and sing these last two songs with an exuberance that the Lord deserves. So thank you. Thank you.
help us to feel the weight of what you did for us, Lord, and not the weight in a bad way, God, but a weight that reminds us how desperately we're loved by you and how much you did to save us, God. We love you so much. May you be with us over these next couple days. In your name I pray, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us. If you guys want to exit quietly and reflectively, and we'll see you on Sunday.